Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. I like this service. If you've been here before, uh, in the last three years that Beth and I have been here, this is a service that for me is very important because I want to talk about what we did this past year and celebrate that, but also now rolling into a new year in just a few hours, 2024, what is it, what's our objective as a church? What is it that we want to do? Now, we talk often, and, and I've thrown it out there a lot, a mission statement for our church to be a church of the community, that we're attracting people from the community, uh, that we're on the move in the community. We're not standing still and expecting everyone come to us. We're actually doing something until we reach all the community for Christ. We want to be one. That's what it's all about, the gospel. We want to reach people with Jesus. That's what it always comes down to. That's what this is all about. That's how your life has been changed, my life has been changed. And for us to hold it to ourselves is unthinkable. It it changes people's lives. If you want to change the world, you start by sharing the gospel with your neighbor or with your friends or with your coworkers. So this has been something that I will continually drill in us because I believe in it that much. It's why I am here as a pastor of a church because I want to make a difference. And I don't want to do it just for Grace Fellowship's name. I'm going to do it for Jesus Christ. And I hope you do too. Uh, Looking back over this last year, uh, I wanted to just highlight a few great moments throughout this past year that you, maybe you weren't here for these or you weren't a part of all of them, but just to look back. Uh, Earlier this year, we had some not-so-serious things we did, such as the Peep Diorama uh, Contest. Uh... That was pretty epic. We had some great peep dioramas. I don't know if we'll do it again this year, but I expect more participants, okay? More participation from some of you, especially those of you with engineering in your soul. You need to get into this, okay? It's trash talk time in love and Christian love. So anyway, uh, we had the peep diorama. That was fun around Easter time. We did that uh, just for something a little different, just to celebrate uh, Easter and Christ's resurrection. We had the 70th anniversary you remember that? I think a few of you do. Some of you were there. Yeah, we had the 70th anniversary of our church. Awesome to see God's faithfulness all of these years and to be able to celebrate it together. Saw some uh, old uh, friends there and old uh, faces. We also had the church picnic, uh, which we did a full morning out there. We did our service there a couple months ago. And uh, that was awesome. I mean, I think it was a great time, and the feedback we got was very positive of those that were able to there. We did the service out there. We had lots of great food uh, and just uh, had that afternoon time to just fellowship. Sometimes we just need to slow down and be able to just be with one another. Uh, so that was some of the things that we had. We also had a fast card that was another event that we had, which is important for another reason I'll talk about in a second. Uh, as far as like the ministry going on here at church, uh, we have Grace for Moms continuing to go on. Grace for Moms, I, I mentioned to you at least five new moms have started to attend this, not necessarily church background. And that's what makes me excited because it means it's having an impact into people that may not even be believers yet. And that's how we begin to build relationship and introduce them to Jesus, which I think is what a healthy ministry looks like. Grace for Moms has some exciting things going on. The youth group led by Tyler. 
Christmas season's over. It's not Tinsel Tyler anymore. Sorry. Now it's tax time Tyler because that's coming up soon. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, it's it's been cool to see. He took them to a winter retreat last year for the first time. Tundra over at Tuscarora uh, in uh, Mount. I think it's Mount Bethel, not Bethel, PA. But uh, had a great time there. Going again in just a few weeks. He's going to say something about that at the end of the service. Uh, but and uh, they are consistently getting about ten to twelve students. They've had a couple of events that have had a lot of kids show up which is cool. This is why we brought Tyler on. We want to impact the next generation. He's doing a great job. The kids kind of like him. <laughs> kind of like uh, But uh, it's been cool to see. This is where we need to invest ourselves in ministry-wise. So that's been going on. That's been something for us to celebrate. Uh, we had some men's events uh, this past year, which uh, we stepped into. We have men's breakfast, and we always get about 15, 20 to those uh, we had a few men's events such as trivia. Uh, Ray Guthrie, uh, uh, you know, who still trash talks about winning the first time. Um, Ray Guthrie the, and, and Steve and Joe obviously uh, winning trivia. We did trivia night with wings, and then we did the Brolympics, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had backyard church. Uh, backyard church, we always had at least 45 people at it. At least. Uh, and that's always been a great time to hear about other ministries and also for us to connect once again, you know, over some great food, uh, which Lancaster County is really good at food. So uh, we, we had a great time with that. Uh, and then even just last week, Christmas season, um, was a lot of fun here. I mean, we did the breakfast. I'm sorry if the, the food wasn't perfect. That's Steve's fault. Uh, at the, I'm teasing Steve. Uh, but we had breakfast. You know, we had 105 people show up for breakfast, which was awesome. And then Christmas Eve, we were kind of surprised by. I told Judy, get about 100 candles ready. I mean, maybe it's normally 60 people who show up. We had 111 people here last Sunday night which was really cool. I mean, I don't know where any of them came from, but they were here. So uh, apparently it was an advantage because a lot of churches chose not to do an evening Christmas Eve service and people wanted one. So they found our church and that's cool. I mean, whatever we can do to encourage ministry. So uh, God did some great things this past year. I don't know if you remember a vision that I constantly put out there, uh, but just to help you, there were posters I had in the hallway um, just to help remind you, and I know every week you guys came in and were like, yes, yes, I'm going to live beyond my limits. This didn't become background to you. I saw you all stop there every week and meditate. That's a joke. But this was important, and we did talk a lot about this. In fact, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, every sermon series that we did this past year had some form of pushing you beyond your limits. And it was all based on Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in Christ, or, uh, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I wanted each of us, I don't care if you followed Jesus 50 years or five months, that you do something to grow your faith. Because if you're not doing that, you're stagnant. And stagnancy leads to death. And as a church and as individuals, we need to be finding opportunities to grow in our faith. So we talked about how to love people that maybe make you feel uncomfortable. How do we share Jesus with them? We saw that with Jonah. We talked about prodigals and praying for the prodigals in our life. I still have the jar with all the prodigal names in it on my coffee table in my office. I don't want us to forget that. That wasn't just for three weeks. That's all the time. 
We talked about praying great prayers. We had a number of sermon series that were all about getting us all to live beyond our limits, that we expect God to do something great. And I hope that you did something this past year in your personal walk, but also us as a church. I hope you didn't just sort of glaze over and whatever, because that does lead to stagnancy. That does lead to death. I hope that you all did something, something. I am not the world's greatest teacher. I don't ever claim to be. But that you did something with something you heard to grow your faith this past year. It's been a good year. We've seen people that took steps of faith. Uh, uh, Some of the numbers that we know of, know of this past year. And numbers are only a barometer. They sort of give you a feel for things. This past year we had three new uh, professions of faith which is something to celebrate for. Uh, We had three last year, so six in two years. Not bad, okay? Three new Christians. Uh, Is anyone happy about that at all? Okay, Uh, all right. We had two people baptized. Uh, That's also another thing to celebrate as well. And we had five new members, which is exactly what I was praying. Um, And this isn't about a, well, we're so great. I don't believe God meant for us to just sit here and show up and nothing changes. The church is about life change. And this is what we know of. There may be other people who made a profession of faith and just haven't had the confidence to say it yet. We pray for more. I hope you pray for more. But this is a sign God is doing something, and some people chose to take steps of faith in their own walk. I also know that we had, uh, we have 64% of our church is serving in some capacity, even if it's just like once every so often. 64% of church. I'd love to see that go up as close to 100 as possible. So 64%. We know, and you've heard a million times, four people went to the DR. Me being one, Tyler being two, Ray and Rich being the others. Uh, That was a lot of money to raise. God provided in abundance what we needed. Uh, We were able to go to the DR and and work with uh, people living on Bates. As you know, Haitians living in the DR basically are modern-day slaves and not able to get off these things. It was an awesome trip, but it was a step of faith for many going on it. Um, We had uh, 17 people go through a discipleship training thing I did back in June. How to disciple a person. It wasn't like the only way to do it. It was a way to disciple a person. How you walk with a book uh, through explaining the beginnings of what the faith is and beliefs for Because we're all about making disciples, or at least we say we are. For me, I wanted to remove the excuse that people may say, well, I have no idea how to do that. No, you do. Here is a way. 17 people went through that training. So we know we have 17 people who are aware of a way that we can disciple somebody, whether they are just coming into the faith or maybe they just weren't really grounded at all. Uh, We have uh, 15 people who went through one of our Start, Grow, Move classes, our discipleship growth classes. Uh, We had many of you go out onto the street for life baskets back at Easter. You covered all of Point View Avenue here. Uh, We have uh, three times we've served at CityGate. We've seen uh, God continually use that ministry. And then we had prayer at the fair for the first time. When the fair was going on, we met down there to pray rather than have prayer meeting here because I wanted us to be praying for what was going on there. These are all steps of faith. And we celebrate them because people chose not to just show up and sit and soak and stink. They chose to do something. They chose to do something. They wanted to see God do something. I hope that's all of our hearts. So the question comes to what now? 
What now in 2024? Where do we go now? I want to take a look at a book that we're going to spend a few weeks on, and I want to cover the first four verses of the book of Nehemiah today. Because there's something in the heart of Nehemiah that motivates the rest of the book. It's important. Don't just skim over it, read it, and don't think much about it. I want us to think about this. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to have it up on the screens if you want to follow along, or you can turn in your Bible. There's also a QR code in your bulletin uh, that you can follow along on uh, version. Uh, it starts this way. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Hislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So pause there for a moment before we go through the next two verses. It starts this way. Nehemiah's uh, got an important role to fulfill. And it says that Nehemiah is hanging out uh, in Susa. Now, uh, if you know your Old Testament history, the Persian Empire is overseeing, or uh, Israel subjugated to the Persian Empire. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about some of the rulers of the Persian Empire that were not so great, uh, like Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, but for the most part, the one thing that's interesting about Persia, who defeated Babylon, Persia tended to have a little bit of a tolerance, a little bit of a tolerance with the Jewish people. Uh, see, Babylon wanted nothing to do with the God of them and so on. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar and how he treated people. He, he pulled people away from Jerusalem, their home country, to come to Babylon, uh, destroyed everything they had. Persia had sort of a little bit of a, they, maybe they were a little you know, pragmatic in a sense in how they dealt with the Jewish people. And Nehemiah, it, it's, he just introduces himself, the son of Hakaliah. We don't know much about Hakaliah. Here's what we also don't know about Nehemiah. We don't know if Nehemiah was born in Persia or if he was born in Jerusalem and he was exiled to Persia. We don't know. And that's important for a reason that we're going to see in a second. It says that uh, it was in the 20th year, and he's in Susa, the citadel. We'll learn at the end of the chapter. Most of you who know Nehemiah know he was a cupbearer to the king. We can talk a little bit more about that next week. But he was in Susa, which was the seasonal capital of Persia. Uh, if you go over to England, uh, the king, uh, I almost said the queen because I'm so used to that my whole life, the king has multiple castles. He doesn't just have one. He's got several, and sometimes they go to different ones at a different season of the year. It was the same thing in Persia. They had multiple castles or multiple places to go. This is one of them, Susa, the citadel. Nehemiah is there, and it says in verse 2, Hanani, one of his brothers, his, we believe, blood brothers, came with certain men from Judah. They're coming from the area of Jerusalem, and they come over to Susa, which, by the way, if you're like, well, where's Susa? Glad you asked. It's basically western Iraq. So they traveled a distance from Jerusalem, Judah, to get to Susa. They come over there, and it says that um, uh, they, he asked them, in the midst of their conversation, hey, it's great to see you. Hey, what's going on back in Jerusalem? He had not heard anything about Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been left in shambles the last he knew. And he also asked about, it says, the Jews who had escaped the Jews who basically had been exiled to Babylon or to Persia, remember I said Persia was tolerant. Persia had allowed some of them to go back to Judah. 
They were like, okay, no big deal. You can go back. So they went back, and he was asking, so how are they all doing? Verse 3 goes on and says this, and they said to me, the remnant there, the people that are in Jerusalem right now, in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Well, he asked, and they gave a report. They said, Jerusalem's not doing well. The walls are in shambles. The place has been burned to the ground. The people that are there live in fear for their lives. See, we don't, in Ephrata or wherever, to whatever borough you live in, you know, to the Lidditz or, or New Holland, whatever, we hear about the walls of a city and we're like, okay, so what? We don't think a whole lot about that because Ephrata doesn't have a wall around it, okay? We don't need a wall around us. We are not going to be attacked by, you know, someone in Denver or someone in one of the other surrounding boroughs, okay? That would be weird. But walls were very important. Walls were your defense. Walls were peace, safety for you. And if your walls are in shambles, you're a sitting duck. And so Nehemiah hears that Jerusalem, the holy city, he's faithful to God, is in shambles. And they have, they're just waiting to be attacked. The temple is not protected. Any, any other nation could come in, march in, and just ransack the temple. And they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. They're dead meat. Verse 4, after Nehemiah has heard this, he says this, As soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We get a hint uh, in the next few verses that we'll cover next week that for a couple months, this is Nehemiah's condition. Not just like a day or two days or a week. A couple months, he is fasting. He is giving up food and praying to God for something to happen in Jerusalem something to be fixed, and he's weeping. When you weep after something, you have affection for it, right? You don't just weep for something because whatever it fell. That's, that's a horrible tragedy. No, you have an affection for something. And you see this affection that Nehemiah has for Jerusalem, a city that he may never have lived in, but he knew the significance of. Nehemiah breaks down, he mourns, he fasts, and why? Well, a couple reasons. He loved God. He knew the significance of Jerusalem to God. He knew the significance of the temple. And so being somebody faithful to Yahweh God, he felt a level of burden for what was going on there. Secondly, he loved the people there. He loved them. Uh, They were his kinsmen. They were his fellow Jews. He loved them. He loved Jerusalem, the city itself. You may say, why on earth did Nehemiah love this city then? Well, we know that it had religious significance. It was the city of God. It's a religiously significant place for him. Lots of amazing things happened there. But it also had national significance to him. He was tried and true Jewish. He believed in Judah. He believed in Israel. He believed in all of that. And so when he hears that his capital city is in shambles, it breaks Not just his religious heart, his love for God, but also his human heart for his nation being in shambles. If you're like, okay, what does that mean? Here's what I mean. 
Imagine that you decide today you're going to go live in, throw out a place to me, uh, another country. Seattle, that is another country. Um, no, uh, let's go out of America. Where are we going? Chad. Okay, we're going to Chad in Africa, all right? Of all places you could have picked, Tyler picked Chad. So you go to Chad, you live there, have a great life for 10 years, and you hear about stuff back in the United States are not going well. And you see pictures of Washington, D.C. You see the Washington Monument broken in half. You see that the White House has been completely leveled. The Lincoln Memorial, Arlington National Seminary, all these things that are like, yes, this is America. You know, our national pride and all of this in Washington, D.C. Everything has been decimated. It's in shambles. It's a ghost town. If you are a tried and true America, proud of your country and so on, that would bother you. It would bother you. Because there's national significance to it and what this country has accomplished for uh, all of these years. And it's in shambles. This is what Nehemiah felt when he heard about Jerusalem. Not only that, but he had a concern over its destiny. And he felt an obligation to do something about it, which we're going to learn about next week and we're going to see over the next few weeks. He didn't just love the place. He's like, oh, that's so bad. He felt an obligation and responsibility to do something about it. And that's what brings the, us to our point this morning. When you love where you live, you feel responsible for it. At this moment, Nehemiah is not living in Jerusalem, but we're going to see he's going to move there and he is going to love where he lives. He already loves it. He knows the significance of it, but he only learns to love it more. When you love where you live, you feel responsible for it. Nehemiah could, couldn't just weep and cry and mourn and fast and all that stuff. He had to do something. Now, if you have lived in this area a long time, I ask you this. Do you really love this place? If you've lived in Ephrata your whole life? Do you really love Ephrata? Some of us would say, well, yeah, I love Ephrata. Well, why do you love Ephrata? I don't know. I just have lived here my whole life. Or New Holland, whatever your town is. Denver, Stevens, you can go down the whole line. Do you love where you live? And, and here's what I mean. I'm going to push you a little further about this. Not just the niceties of it, okay? It's easy if I'm living in New Holland to say, I love New Holland, and you ask me why, and I say, shady maple smorgasbord. That's all you need right there. Not just the niceties of where you live. Not just the history. Maybe you're proud of the history of your town. And when we were in Connecticut, we lived in Colchester, and it was cool to say we lived in a town that was founded in, 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 before the American Revolution, before in the 1600s. I think that was 1698 was the founding year of Colchester. And it's cool. It's like, man, we've been around longer than we've been in America. All that to say this, not just the history, and not just, well, I like some of the people in town. Do you love where you live? Enough that you feel level of responsibility for what happens in our town, your town? Do you take blame for some of what happens in your town? Maybe because you didn't do something you could have done? Because whatever, this is just where I live. Do you feel responsible for this town, because if you're responsible and you feel responsible for this town, and this church is in Ephrata, so I'm a little biased, I will say Ephrata, if you feel responsible for Ephrata, 
than you are concerned about what goes on in Ephrata. You're invested in what goes on in Ephrata, and you're visible in Ephrata. We aren't just this place that everybody commutes to at 822 Point View Avenue, and we come in here, and we're just isolated for, you know, a couple hours a week, and then, okay, quick, let's get out, let's go back home. We're visible in our area. If we ever hope to be effective in making a change in Ephrata and being effective witnesses who make disciples, you're going to have to be visible and stop expecting people to just come to you. You're going to have to go to them. And you're going to have to be out there not once, not twice, but all the time. And I don't just mean going to the food store. I mean getting involved in community affairs, getting involved in things that we have opportunities to do something. Nehemiah felt a level of concern far away from Jerusalem, and he felt a spiritual responsibility to that city. Do you feel spiritual responsibility to where you live? Because it is our responsibility. Hate to break it to you. It's our responsibility. You might say, well, Dan, this is just one location in the Bible that talks about it, and of course, you're just going to pull this out and make this wonderful sermon around it, and so on and so forth. That's it, though. It's just one passage. Oh, no, I'm glad you asked, because it happens a couple times. Even before Nehemiah, in the book of Jeremiah, I'm going to have this verse up here, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. Jeremiah, God gives some instructions to prophesy to his people. And he says this. These people, by the way, are exiled in Babylon. Not a great place. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent, I have sent them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He's saying, go about your life in Babylon. Thrive where you are. Bloom where you're planted. You are in a horrible place, Babylon. You're not in Jerusalem where you want to be. I'm not going to tell you to quick try to escape to get back. No, you're going to overcome. You're going to thrive where you're at and make the most of it. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 7, but seek the what? Seek the welfare of the city, Babylon, where I've sent you into exile? Babylon is as anti-God as they come. Is this God talking to me? Are, are we sure on that? Seek the welfare of where you've been sent into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God tells people ripped away from their homes to pray for the place that they're living, this exiled place. And he wasn't joking. He wanted them to thrive. He wanted them to be successful and to succeed rather than to complain or to blame, well, it's this party, it's that person's fault, this town's in the shambles that it's in, and go on to a Facebook group and complain about all the homeless in our town and so on. No. Take responsibility for where you live. Love it. It's going to be hard to reach a town that you don't love because people will see right through it. There are people that are not churched or not even Christians that care more about the town than some Christians I know the town they live in, that they're called to minister to. 
See, citizenship is an exercise of stewardship. You being a citizen of where you live, you've been stewarded a great responsibility with me. I have a level of spiritual responsibility for Ephrata and Akron, the town I live, which is basically Ephrata anyway. But I have a level of spiritual responsibility that I cannot abandon. Kids in school, you have a level of spiritual responsibility for your school. Don't just blow it off. You have a level of responsibility for it. Citizenship is an exercise of stewardship. How are you making a difference here? Do you even care at all about what's going on? You're responsible for the town you live in. This church is responsible for this town. Uh, you're, you need to be concerned when you hear about crime in Ephrata. You need to be concerned when you hear about new residents moving to Ephrata, no matter where they come from. You need to be concerned about the health care in our area, the education, what our kids are being taught, the homelessness problem, the marriages here. You need to be concerned about elderly care. All of these things are rooted in a spiritual matter. It's caring about people that Jesus loves. And it is a spiritual matter. It is a spiritual matter. How are we stewarding our citizenship? Are we taking advantage and using it for the Lord or not? This year, I want to encourage us to love where you live. And through any kind of events, I'll mention just a second, uh, I'm just tired of, of not seeing more come to Christ. And even if we had 100 people come to Christ, I'm tired of not having more come to Christ. I hope that drives you. I hope that puts something in you. I pray that resonates with your heart as it does with mine. I want to love where I live and I want to feel a level of responsibility and be visible and proactive in how I care for it. And I hope we will as a church this year. I don't know if you know this or not, but here's some bad news for you. It's 2024. You know what's coming in November? Yeah! Oh, yeah, that's a time of just American unity. Man, we get together. We're singing Kumbaya. We love each other. It's just wonderful. And what an opportunity for the church to be the church. While everyone else around us is bickering, fighting, pointing, tearing each other's signs down, we get to be different. But will we? This year, I ask you to be a part of this mission. That's my challenge, is will you be a part of this? That we up the ante this year. We've done things in the past. We've gotten involved in City Gate. We had the summer community celebration, and we've had all these different things. I'm asking you to pray with me for 10 salvations, 10 baptisms, and 10 new members this year. I want you to pray with me that. 10 salvations? Are you kidding me? We just had three, like, this past year and three the year before. Yeah, Let's pray for big things. God's capable, right? Ten baptisms. Maybe you've been a believer and you've never been baptized, and it's the time to be courageous to say, I'm going to do this, to publicly declare I am a believer in Jesus Christ. It's time to be committed. Maybe that's you. I hope it's you. And I will walk you through that. There is nothing more exciting than baptisms in our church. And also 10 members, people who come in and say, I am all in with this church. I'm all in with the mission. I am supporting it. I'm serving there. What, where are we going now? I would pray that 10 people would say, I'm all in. I'm all in as a member. 
This year, I'm hoping that you'll be part of the mission as we step to serve in our church and outside of our church and that we see less shortages. I mentioned 60-some percent of us are serving. I don't know how many of you have noticed in the bulletin there's been a Help Wanted ad for volunteers in our church. You know what's sad? I haven't had to change it in three months. That means those vacancies are still there. And you may say, ah, I've done my time. I've done my time. I'm too tired to do it now. Really? Come on. This is about the mission, what God has enabled you to be able to do. You have an opportunity to serve. Now, I realize some of those are very, very finite. I don't expect, you know, uh, Dwayne to get up here and start playing the drums next week, okay? Please, Dwayne, don't get up here to play the drums. I'm begging you. Um, But can we fill some of those? Can we pray for them to be filled? Can we do whatever we can to help with those? I hope that we have less shortages. Um, I'm going to challenge all of us to invite five people to church sometime, an event, church in the morning, whatever it is. That's why I do some of these events is it's an easy thing to invite people to, and they'll come into contact with us. You're going to get tired of hearing me say invite this year because it is my heartbeat that we are an invitational, hospitable church. And we're looking, yes, for our fellowship, and we will have our times of fellowship. Those are easy. What's not so easy is when we begin to invite people who need Jesus, who come with whatever they come in with, and welcome them in here. Let's be a welcoming church and invite five people. Uh, I want us to leverage our opportunities in our community, and I'm going to give you a couple that I've been thinking of real quick because I I don't want to go too long on this. Um, In April, uh, I'm just going to put it out there, uh, Servant Stage is going to come here. Some of you go to see Servant Stage. They're going to be doing I'll Fly Away here, so that your Southern Gospel people, you'll be here, all right? You'll be here, and you can actually clap, okay? It'll be exciting. Um, We're going to have Servant Stage here. Uh, They're using us. This is just something that we reached out to them, Beth and I, because Beth has been volunteering there. This isn't a church event, um, but it's something that we're having at the church, and it's something that you have people that you know might be interested in coming to see that, and it's, you know, not scary or anything, they can come here, see this, have a great time. It's going to be Thursday night in April. We'll give you the dates and more details as we get closer. How easy is that to invite somebody to? It's a show, and they do a great job. And, you know, Beth, who volunteers with them, is pretty cute too. So, uh, anyway, uh, servant stage is one. Second thing, July 4th, is anyone aware what happens in Ephrata here? There's an event that goes on. And it's not just a July 4th. What? Fireworks is one thing. It's in the morning. Firecracker five-mile run. You know how I know this? Because I keep working on July 4th, and I start driving up Point View, and there's all these people running the other way, and I don't see Godzilla back behind them. They're running down here. What's awesome about this is one of our neighbors across the street, she is always out on the front with her hose spraying all the runners down. It's a couple hundred runners in this. Running right in front of our church. We're missing our opportunity. I'm not going to miss that this year. I'm not going to run it. But I'm not going to miss our opportunity. Three mile, a three, a 5K is too much for me. I mean, that's about as far as I go. So anyway, um, but we have an opportunity to be visible, to show we care about where we live. Let's not miss it. And then uh, uh, there, we still haven't figured out something with the trail. My word, we've got the trail. We're one of two churches along the trail. 
The other one's taking advantage of it. The Methodist church over there, they have, a, like during the summer, they do church out there and invite people off the trail to come to it. What are we doing? It's right here. Hundreds of people walking this trail all the time. What are we doing? I want to do something. We got the fair, the largest street fair in Pennsylvania. We've got to find a way to get involved in there. I don't have all the exacts with these. All I'm saying is this. I'm ready to be involved and love where I live and be visible and committed to it. And I hope you are too. That's the mission I need us all on. No more playing around. No more expecting people to come to us. That's how you make a difference so you can't complain. And I'm all about making a difference. I hope you'll join me with it. See, Jesus loved the, your neighbor. He loved the person who cut in line uh, in front of you at Weaver's. He loves the lousy tipper. He loves the angry customer, your coworker, the expelled student from Ephrata High. He loves the homeschool mom. He loves those with mental illness in our area. He loves the police officers in our area, the Popeye's cashier. Today's their opening day. He loves the person who still has their Halloween decor still up. He loves the high school quarterback of Ephrata High School, Anka Calico. All of these are members of our community. If we're going to love where we live, we need to care about them too. The question is, are you going to be part of the responsibility of your town and loving it? Or are you just going to leave it for somebody else? I hope you're all in with me. I'm going to pray, and uh, just uh, I hope that the Lord does something in your heart this year. I hope he does great things in this church in 2024. Uh, in a little bit, Ray's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in a time of communion, and then Tyler's going to wrap up the service. But be praying, God, what do you want me to do? Break my heart for where I live like I see with Nehemiah. Broken heart for a city. Break my heart for this town. God, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would watch over us as we leave here, Lord, that we would not leave unchanged. God, may Sundays not be about just enduring a service so that we can go about our life. May they be times of challenge and times of action. That we are not content to just learn more things, but we are super, super fired up to do things. And why? For you. You came from heaven to earth. You laid down your life, all because of love for us. God, may we not be so careless, so cold-hearted, that we don't care about what goes on in the town that you placed us in, but that we feel a level of responsibility and obligation to do something for your great name, because you did so much for us. God, this may be a, a, a polarizing year, some in here may be resistant to that. Lord, I ask you would change their heart that they would be on mission. But Lord, I ask that whatever the case, in 365 days from now, you will have made a difference in our town because this church chose to be faithful and to love where they lived and to be devoted to the towns around them to see an impact for Jesus Christ. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.